0: You're listening to Switched On Australia, the podcast that tracks the opportunities and challenges of electrifying everything, everywhere. Switched On is brought to you by the publishers of Renew Economy, Australia's best-informed, most-read website focusing on the green energy transition, and is supported by Boundless Earth, using philanthropy, investment, and direct advocacy to help Australia become a global force in a decarbonised world. Hello, and welcome to another Switched On Australia podcast. I'm Anne Delaney. Thanks for joining me. And I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Iraqwell people from the Bunjilung Nation in northern New South Wales. To reach net zero by 2050, millions of existing Australian homes will need to undertake energy efficiency and electrification upgrades. But we all know many households are already facing increasing financial strain and they can't afford the upfront cost of a green retrofit. Governments around the country provide some financial incentives and rebates to help electrify efficiently, but it's clear the energy transition won't just be financed by government grants, given their tightening budgets. The Institute for Sustainable Futures at the University of Technology in Sydney argues that what we need is more easily accessible finance to enable efficient electrification and green retrofits in a submission to the Senate inquiry on residential electrification which they've based on a recent report they've published they argue this can best be done using the most cost-effective loan product on the market the housing loan i spoke to gordon noble the research director at the institute for sustainable futures this week about their submission and report gordon specializes in sustainable finance and I started my discussion by asking him why accessible finance is so important for scaling up household electrification.
1: It's incredibly important. One of the reasons, just to to give a few statistics, um, 12% of, of greenhouse gases are, are, are come from the residential uh, building. Uh, 24% of energy uh, electricity use comes from residential buildings. So... It's a, it's a big proportion of the, the energy that we, we consume here in Australia. And look, the challenge is we, we know that by 2050, we're still going to have seven million houses that won't have been subject to a, if you like, the new construction codes that have that higher sort of energy efficiency requirements. So there's, there's a lot of houses in Australia that, that won't have been, uh, retrofitted and are gonna be a key part of us transitioning to net zero emissions
0: so if we provide more and better finance for green retrofits for you know enabling people to electrify and to move towards net zero do you think that we'll be able to move away from grants or target grants better
1: yeah, and this, this is the key thing that we, we were looking at. So one of the challenges, we, we all know this, is that the government budgets are, are constrained. The ability to for governments to, to retrofit all those 7 million houses that, that are going to need to be retrofitted that will still be in existence by, by 2050, we can't simply do this on grants. So we need to find out how we can do it. We can create the incentives, if you like, that we can do it from household budgets or we can do it from finance and we need to find what combinations that we can use of those those two.
0: Mm. And so how does the structure of, of finance and the structure of lending influence a household's decision about electrifying or or upgrading uh, with energy efficient um, appliances?
1: Yeah, and, and I guess if you, if you think about it, um, say if we think about it from our own budget, so uh, the kind of uh, things that we have access to in terms of finance is that we can get a, a housing loan from the bank. We can get a credit card, we can get a personal loan, and there's all new, new other products on the market that also pay-as-you-go kind of products as well. So the, the, the most cost-effective product on the market is the housing loan. The reason is because it's secured by our houses, and therefore it's got the lowest interest rate, but the other aspect is it's also got the longest term to repay the loan, whereas we, we know, say, with a credit card or a personal loan, there's shorter terms to, to repay and higher interest rates. So housing loans are, if you like, the most cost-effective uh, and efficient way, if you like, of, um, of financing, particularly things to do with the house, which is what sustainability retrofits are all about.
0: So, So how would it work? Tell me how you think it would ideally work. It would be about extending people's mortgages, I presume.
1: Yeah, and, and that's what we're we're suggesting. So, if, if you think about it, say you've uh, an individual's got a housing loan, and so uh, they're 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 in the state of Victoria. There's a lot of gas um, in the house, and they want to get get the gas out because prices are skyrocketing, the energy bills are skyrocketing, and also they know it just makes sense from an energy efficiency perspective. So say it costs you know, somewhere between three to five thousand, so we're not talking huge amounts of money. If the household hasn't got cash, and households were all struggling in terms of increasing bills, so there's a lot mm. of households that don't have have sort of loose change for you know three to five thousand, the idea is that the their the bank would be able to increase the, the loan for an amount of money for that three to five thousand, and they would repay it back over the course of the loan. Now, the, where we have done our research is around the payback period, so what we know, for instance, say, for that household in Victoria that's getting rid of gas is the Victorian government itself is saying a household will save t- you know, around $1,250 a year, and that's because gas prices are, uh, are going through the roof. Uh, More energy efficiency appliances will reduce the amount of energy, you know, the amount of bills that people pay. Mm. So if with that saving, the idea is that if you make that investments, the household's budget is actually better off. They've got more disposable income. And then from a bank perspective, what that means is because they've got more disposable income, they've got the ability to service a very small increase in their loan. Mm. Um, And their actual credit risk for the bank is actually mm. improved because you've actually improved the household's budget position. And that's our core thing that we're suggesting. If we can find a way to nudge this and take out some of the, the difficulties that banks have to be able to just automatically increase a loan, then what we can do is unlock that uh, the finance for, you know, for basically all of us.
0: I mean, the way you've laid it out, it seems like a no-brainer to, to be doing it, but what are the, what's the impediment? What's, what's stopping it?
1: Well, the constraint is the way... We have a very strong financial system, a very strong and stable financial system, and that's, you know, we've got good, good strong banks, and we've got a good regulatory architecture, which we've basically had for the last sort of 20, 30, 40 years. And the reason we have strong banks is because of that interplay with regulation. So basically, what we need is 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 a way of nudging that regulation. And we've done this in the past. So the way to think about it is that in the a housing loan is not one single product. It's actually a range of products. It's a mortgage insurance that goes with that. And mortgage insurance often enables first homeowners to get access to a housing loan that actually gives banks the confidence of the, the it's a it's a lower risk they can make the, the loan. The other product that's part of housing is the is is offset accounts. People have money in offset accounts, mm. they use that for you know for different purposes. Um, and the banks actually consider that so the regulators as part of of the, the housing loan side as well. In fact the interest rate gets offset against the the, the mortgage as well. Mm. So the challenge here in the little regulatory nudge that we need is that if if you and i wanted to go and increase our our loan for that 3 to 5000 we go to the bank they would say okay well reapply for your loan right, uh, right. and that's and, and that's That's just, an ordeal. It's an ordeal. We all know that. We all Almost cringe as soon as we think about that. Oh, I'm not mm. doing that. You've got to get all the paperwork together. You've got to, you know, make the application. Uh, the bank says yes, and then all you need is three to five thousand. We're not talking a huge amount. We're talking about small improvements that are going to make, you know, improve your cost of living, but improve your your energy efficiency. So, so, so
0: just to clarify, are all banks obligated to make their customers um, apply for a new loan, even f- even for those small amounts?
1: Well, and, and this is the regulatory architecture. It's, it's, um, there's, there, because we have responsible lending laws, we don't have an automatic right that you simply can increase a person's loan without, without sort of a, a process. Certainly the regulators would be wanting to know how a bank would be doing that. What we're seeing with some of the innovations in the market, and we are seeing good innovations, is, is we are seeing, uh, for instance, one, one provider is pausing, Loan repayments, so that so that uh, customers can do uh, retrofits instead of making loan repayments for a period of time. So that's you know to name that organisation that's Bank Australia. So we have some innovations in the market. We have we have Combank, and we refer to this in our report. They have a they have a great green mortgage product in, in the market, but again the customer needs to uh, apply for that. And what we're seeing is that the market developments um, are at that middle to upper end of the market. And what one of the things we're we're also concerned about is just to make sure that we're we've got a universal offering. So we we talk about this in the report, an idea of a net zero poverty premium, and a poverty premium is basically uh, it costs more to be poor. So what we don't want to see is all the innovations around transition to net zero, things that benefit you know uh, middle and upper income earners, but not low income earners. So we want to we want to shift the focus to make sure that we really are focusing on all all households and particularly low income households.
0: Yeah, I'll go into low income households in a, in a bit, but can I just clarify are, are you suggesting that the nudge that would be required is to do, is for banks and lenders just to drop the whole idea of of reapplying for the loan? Can, can they do that and is that a bit would that be a big deal?
1: Yeah, so the nudge we're suggesting is that our our regulator of the banks, the the Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority, would issue guidance, and in order to issue guidance, they would they would really need an evidence base, and we're proposing how that they might do that. And if that guidance was issued, then banks would have that ability to to um to essentially increase a loan uh, without people having to go through those 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 hurdles. It would it would need eligibility criteria and an example would be for instance that you would establish eligibility criteria for people who have they're ahead of their housing loans already so they've made advanced payments they've got more they've got um, money in for instance um, offset accounts and that would be you'd pilot list this and then you would have uh, that would give APRA you'd build a model a financial model and they'd have the ability to then act on the confidence knowing the key thing knowing is that the payback period for the things that they that households would be investing in would actually uh, improve the budget of households, and therefore improve the budget to to service that mortgage. But it needs it needs in our in in our view a regulatory um, uh, intervention, small one, very small one, but doesn't need in uh, legislation. But I think this could be done with a with a regulatory uh, guidance.
0: Well, what about ensuring that the the that extra part of the loan actually gets spent on what it should be spent on, and that is the green retrofit? how How do we ensure that?
1: well, we we do that. we do that when we buy a car. so, it's sort of standard practices banks have have um, you know ways to do this we don't we don't go to the car dealership buy a car and then and then take it off and go on a holiday so <laughs> the, the bank knows how to to make sure that the money goes to the right place so the, the system that's all about systems and processes so so it is about knowing what it is that the you're actually going to be spending the, the retrofit on so you do need some some uh, criteria in terms of what is actually going to have the best payback periods not just in terms of household budgets but also also in terms of environmental benefits. The the logical one is gas, but there's others. There's quite a few others that are um, certainly there's a lot of focus on. So you can build that with a collaborative process where you identify what it is that has got the, the biggest bang for the buck. And then what you do is ensure that the regulator would ensure that the banks have the right processes, which, to be honest, they already do.
0: Mm. I'm also wondering whether or not the expansion and upgrade of what's known as the you know the nationwide house energy rating scheme, NatHERS, that's going to be extended to existing homes. Will will that give banks and lenders more confidence in in providing these retrofit loans?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the one of the issues is that it's about data. Uh, and we, we talk about this a lot in, in this area, is that, you know, it's, you know, without data, it's hard to have confidence of, of making decisions. So, again, think about it from our own household. So we take up uh, a mortgage from a bank, we apply for a loan, the bank gives us the, the money, we go and buy the house. After that period of time, they have very little data in terms of understanding what's actually inside our house. Um, What they do know is they've got the the, the deed, you know, the title deed, um, and beyond that, they don't really have a lot of data. So it's very hard from a banking perspective to actually make, you know, make informed decisions. The changes that are being proposed are going to fill this gap, so really, really important Um, every time... A house, essentially, in the future will be sold. It'll come with information, if you like, on, mm. on its energy performance and things like that, um, and that can then be plugged into in, into banks only own, their own um, systems and processes, and basically ensure that um, you know we're building a sort of a data base that can inform decisions. So, really critical piece of the puzzle.
0: Mm. Yeah, you raise the issue of low income. I mean, ha- how is this going to help um, people on lower incomes?
1: Well, in our view, it'll help them the most. So the way mortgages, the Reserve Bank APRA look at the, the quartiles of mortgages, they break them up into four quartiles. And there's there's 760,000 uh, loans in the lowest quartile. So we're talking about a, a, a large group, you know, that that are that are in that low-income quartile, and that would that would be classic. A house in the in the western suburbs of Sydney or, or Melbourne might be built in the 1960s, for instance. Likely though, the houses that uh, at the, if you like at the lower end of the housing market, the ones that need the the retrofits the most. They've got they've, they've they were built in an era where they were reliant on gas. You know, a lot of the, the fittings and appliances uh, need to be uh, refreshed. So, so that group has probably the biggest benefit because it's likely that the housing stock has the greatest need, and. The same arguments are applying. So, a low-income earner who, say, in, say in Broadmeadows, takes a 1960s house in Victoria, takes out the gas, they'll have the biggest financial benefit because that gas, the gas prices are mm-hmm. literally uh, killing. So, so the the low-income earners will proportionally have, I think, the biggest sort of uh, benefit of something like this.
0: Mm. And, and now i mean we're, we're just uh, focusing on mortgages not everybody has a mortgage and obviously a third of australians are, are renters should there be special additional provisions for landlords to enable renters to also participate in this
1: i think you yeah and we we didn't we didn't look at that in this particular report what what we can say is we we can see that the we're starting to get institutional investors moving into the space of being landlords not just for one or two houses but literally Having you know a portfolio of houses, I think there's a there's an argument that if you're a large institutional investor and you're owning a portfolio of houses and you're renting them out, you should have obligations to make sure that you're mm. you're providing you know, you're, you know the housing that you're provided is 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 quality and that it is retrofitted and you, and what I think you would do is you'd focus your your nudges at that end at the top end first because that's that's a capacity to pay so. A landlord that has a, a large portfolio of houses certainly has has a greater capacity to pay in terms of retrofit. So you can nudge uh, that area. We didn't look at it specifically in this report, but it's the same kind of principles. You can find you know, ways to nudge it, and then and then same outcome is that the the household the, the renter um, is not facing gas prices, which which basically you know hits their bottom line, their pocket. So so there's huge benefits for for them.
0: How do you think that the industry, the the finance industry, is going to respond to these suggestions of yours?
1: yeah we have a we have a really good open dialogue with the um with the sector, and a lot of our work is working with with banks and and superannuation funds. This is one of those areas where we can see lots of innovation in the market. so I mentioned you know Bank Australia, combank, et cetera, and we really applaud that. You know, these are these are great initiatives. Some of this this area, this is the complex area where you need, uh, you can't do things alone. You actually need to do them collaboratively. You've got to work with government, you've got to work with regulators, and you can do that through your industry associations as well. So we see that that's kind of the space we're going to increasingly have lots of things I think we need to do to transition to net zero that are going to be about actually working together. So getting some of those practices back to do that, it requires all of the parties to understand the benefits. So hopefully what we've done is made a contribution to say is there's a pretty simple nudge we can do here, uh, but it requires government, regulators, banks all working together.
0: Is there any country um, at the moment who has done something and rolled it out at scale at all that you're aware of
1: we're seeing this and we engaged uh, particularly you're seeing different initiatives in us eu and the uk and we captured some of those in in our report it, look it's fair to say everyone's wrestling with the same issues so there's mm. no there, there's there's a few different pilots and trials we've yet to see this cracked i, I think some are some of the challenges, for instance, in the UK, are difficult because of even some of the heritage of houses. You know, so you start to get into into cultural issues that 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 you know make it difficult as well. I guess what I would say is we are seeing that there's an appetite for the for the finance sector, probably more so in in, in Europe and the UK, to understand that this is this is an opportunity. They've probably got better collaborative structures in some ways to work across industry um, and the and this and the finance sector but no one's cracked it yet no one's completely cracked it yet because otherwise I think once one nation does it, there'll be a lot of copping to 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 make that happen
0: yes right uh, there are a number of banks currently in australia who offer green loans to purchase environmentally friendly products like the solar panels and air conditioners I'm presuming that the interest rates on those loans aren't nearly as competitive as a mortgage loan and, and, and that's why you're you're encouraging the extension of a mortgage as a strategy.
1: Well, look, the, you know, to be fair, there are uh, products, green mortgage products on the market um, and there's some green retrofit products on the market. So what we would like to see is to basically ensure that we're hitting the whole of the market. So, So, you know, some of those banks can have a strategy to focus on that middle to upper end of the market so we want to see that low income a target for that for that market what the, the the products that are on the market that are doing is that they're demonstrating that this is actually good sense good business sense so so if you can if you can build that practice and you know some of the banks report the the the, the numbers in terms of you know the application how how much they've had in increased lending etc if if you can actually prove that and demonstrate that this actually was good from a from a risk perspective, then it actually supports the, the regulators actually f- building that pathway to make sure that we can do this at scale. You know that's really where we're coming from.
0: In terms of you know moving fast enough, you're sort of suggesting that if we're going to be developing these sort of uh, partnerships that are required. That takes time are you confident that we can we can move fast enough to to get these these as you're calling them the products on on the market and get people picking them up
1: yeah look, and one thing we I don't I think we don't want to see is we don't want a kind of a pink bat sort of arrangement where mm. we suddenly we rush we need to retrofit 7 million houses and we need to do it in 5 years time and and it is Mass government grants and and schemes going forward, and what that does is it store, it actually distorts the economy because we we you know suddenly we're putting every economic resources into retrofits. The scheme that we're sort of uh, outlining the economic benefits are is that you actually build sustainable industries. So you you'd basically see a situation you wouldn't be eligible for a a retrofit to increase your loan on day one. You'd have eligibility criteria. The idea is that a house over time needs to change and adapt. So as the mortgage progresses, so too does there's more equity in the house, for instance. But what we actually want to see is we want to build industries that, that actually uh, are not boom and bust, you know, mm. so... so a little bit of time to plan, get this right. I think makes makes sense, and then making sure that we've got that pathway to do this in a sort of a logical, ordered way, uh, so that we don't get businesses that come in, uh, this, the dodgy providers, and then we we have all sorts of issues to deal with. We can do this in a very sort of uh, thought thought out way.
0: I, I was also wondering whether or not lenders should be offering a lower interest rate on on mortgages for highly efficient energy homes, highly energy efficient homes. I mean is is that a way to go also?
1: We want to encourage innovation. So and if you think think about the Australian financial system, one thing we've done it's done actually really well is it's innovated so if you go back to you know the time my parents would have got a uh, their housing loan there were fixed interest rates there was you know you could only buy so much there was all these restrictions and all the innovations that we've seen whether it's you know securitization of mortgages which means we've been able to attract cheaper money more cost effective effectively for our loans the offset bank accounts linked to our, you know, deposits linked to our mortgages, these are all innovations that we've done. So, we want to actually get innovation on steroids, right? We want to <laughs> find the way to do that more. So every time you see a new innovation in the market, you think, yes, absolutely, we want we want more of that. And it's only the limit to, to you know, how, you know, what the creativity can be, I think, in, in doing this. So I think there's lots of opportunities here. <laughs>
0: It is going to take the lenders to come to the party, and I noticed that you produced a report last year, which found that there's a what you called a climate skills gap in the Australian financial sector. We we don't have enough people who have experience of both climate and the finance sector. What what are the skills that you think are lacking, and, and, and what is what impact is that having?
1: Yeah, we we did this report with CSIRO, so Australia's uh, Science na- uh, 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 National Agency. And, and what we did is we surveyed sustainable finance professionals and we asked them, because they're in the, the engine room, we said, what do you think? And what they came back with and said was, you know there are areas emerging of of skills gaps. There are shortages, and we knew this anecdotally. We could see see examples of this sort of playing out. Our report sort of broke out what some of the areas of focus are, and there's there's a bit of quite a bit of focus on disclosure and and reporting, and uh, and quite a bit around climate scenarios and some analysis. And part of the the argument we made in that report is that. A, we need a partnership. So again, that, that idea that we need to have a cross conversation from you know, financial system with government, but also in this case with universities, because universities are going to be providing the skills, you know, the students coming through, if they get a strong signal as to where the skills gaps are, that'll help actually skills development. And we probably expect that skills will, will, uh, will evolve. So what may be the skills gaps today? maybe it may be new ones tomorrow i mean if mm. there were to be significant investments in well let's let's say hypothetically it was hydrogen the financial system not known for its skills around the science of uh, of some of the the technical aspects they would need those skills so mm. so in order to analyze projects and and there'd be many many sort of examples of that so so it's going to evolve um, in terms of what the skills are, and we sort of argue we've got to we've got to keep a um, a grip on this as a nation because if there is a skills gap and if it gets away from us, basically it can have a result of, of um, slowing down our our transition to net zero, because the finance sector and system is so influential in allocating capital. So it's really it's a really core thing uh, to get right.
0: Mm. And and how are other countries addressing this issue?
1: Um, Look, it's fair to say this is an area where we're, we're falling behind. We're seeing UK, we're seeing Green Finance Institutes, Singapore, a couple of different institutes focusing on this. Uh, Hong Kong and the, great, the, the the Bay region area, Macau, uh, big focus on skills and competencies. Uh, this is yet to be on our agenda and it's something that we're quite concerned about.
0: Mm. Gordon Noble, thanks so much for joining the Switched On podcast. Pleasure. And Gordon Noble is the Research Director at the Institute for Sustainable Futures at the University of Technology in Sydney. Next time on the Switched On podcast, I'll be talking to the Director of Federal Policy at Rewiring America about America's Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA. This is the massive landmark legislation which includes over 520 billion Australian dollars to accelerate the transition to net zero in the US. And as we'll hear, it's turbocharging low cost financing, rebates for electric vehicles, incentives for electric appliances and building upgrades. And it provides 30% discounts on the cost of rooftop solar, home batteries, and geothermal systems. Hope you can join me then. I'm Anne Delaney. See you next time.